Amen. I tell you, um, yeah, at this time our children ages 3 through 8 are dismissed for Children's Church. It's great to see our young people involved in ministry, isn't it? Um, they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today, aren't they? Amen? Yeah, we're not waiting for them to grow up. You know, the ones that have trusted Christ, they're serving the Lord now. That's how it should be, and we should put them into ministry. And what a great job. Appreciate, young ladies, you uh, ministering to our hearts this morning. Can you think of somebody in your life, maybe your mother, that you saw Jesus Christ in, you know? And they, and they emulated who Jesus was uh, to you. Uh, we're going to skip ahead a little bit in uh, our series in the Gospel of Mark. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 7, fast forward a little bit to Mark chapter 7. We'll start in verse 24 when you get there. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Last week, we, last week our middle son, Nathaniel, was uh, learning about magnets in school. And, and he's in second grade and he was, oh, excuse me, he's in first grade. And he was learning about these magnets, and he, uh, I guess, learned about it in his little video class he does because we school at home. And he came out and was showing his mom how magnets work. And see his mom? And he was sitting there pulling these little metal objects around. He was just tickled pink about it. And uh, it re- Crystal was sharing that with me, and it reminded me of a story that I read this week of a teacher who taught second grade. And she was teaching about mag- magnetism and they had had their lesson, and they had done their activity time, and now it was time to review. Every good teacher needs to review just to make sure that the students really understand what's going on. And so she begins asking the students a series of questions, but her first question is more like a riddle, and it goes like this. My name starts with an M, and I pick up things. What am I? Little boy, ooh, a mother. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe in your household. <laughs> not, not, Crystal won't tolerate that in ours. But, but, you know, I guess in some ways a mother is kind of like a magnet, but not to pick up after us, right? Right, Timmy? <laughs> but, uh, also, but not to pick up after us, but they should attract us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that way, I would agree that they are kind of like a magnet. And here in Mark chapter 7, we're going to study for just a brief moment, because my wife told me to preach for a short time today. (laughs) We're going to be studying the life, or just a a little glimpse of the life of a woman, a mother of remarkable faith. In Mark chapter 7, verse 24, it says, From there, from Galilee, he arose and he went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered into a house and would have no man know it, But he could not be hid. Talking about Jesus Christ. He could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs, And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. A parallel account of this is found in Matthew chapter 15. And I just want to read 
a little different a little different take that Matthew does record a statement that Jesus says to this woman after she uh, says that statement about the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Jesus answered and said unto her in Matthew 15, verse 28, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, there's only two places that Jesus tells people in the Gospels that they have great faith. One was mentioned last week with the centurion, the soldier that was over a hundred soldiers. And he came, to, he actually didn't come to Jesus, but he sent the elders of the synagogue to come and tell Jesus to, to heal his servant from a distance. He had that great of faith. And, and Jesus said, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel. And the only other person is this woman, this Syrophoenician mother, a non-Jew, both of them non-Jews, a Roman and a Greek, a Syrian, a Phoenician. Both of them are not Jewish, but they have the greatest faith. They had more faith than the Jews did in that day. A remarkable faith. A woman, a mother of remarkable faith. And uh, when I, what I mean by that is that she is, her faith is worthy of notice and it attracts others to put their faith in Christ. And and mothers, and really all of us, I want to encourage you not to take for granted your walk of faith. Others around you, your children or others around you, they notice how you live out your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you from this passage of Scripture, verses 24-30, through To be like this woman and to follow Jesus with a remarkable faith. Whether you're a mother or not. To be pursuing Christ with a remarkable faith. We read in verse Mark chapter 7, verse 24, that Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon. It says again, And from there, from Galilee, He arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but He could not be hid. Jesus is going to the district or the area of Tyre and Sidon, an area about 120 miles long, um, northwest of Galilee, Capernaum, where he was at by the Sea of Galilee, would have been northwest, and it would have been along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And it was about 120 miles long, I think about 10 miles wide. So kind of a slender piece of area, but about 120 miles long. And the Phoenician people that occupied that space had been there for years, even before the people of Israel had moved into that area. And Jesus goes to this place, and He goes to an unknown house. We don't know whose house it was. We actually don't know what town He went to. It just says that He went to this district, and this is a Gentile, non-Jewish area. He's mainly just been in Judea, now he's in Galilee, we've been covering his ministry and life. And as we come to Mark chapter 7, like I said, we fast forward a little bit. Uh, The last time I preached, we preached um, that he was back in Galilee. You know, he left several times. He left Galilee several times and came back. He went to Gadara and healed the demoniac of Gadara and came back. And then he healed Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood, which I preached on last week. So he's back in Galilee. And then he leaves another time. 
and comes back, and we'll preach on that in the next couple of weeks. But this time, this is his third time leaving Galilee. Okay, and he is in a Gentile country. He is in a non-Jewish area, and he's going there to get away. If you look at verse uh, chapter seven, if you've read any of this before, the Pharisees have rebuked Jesus, um, and and Jesus sets them straight about their traditions of men, and and they are oppressing him and trying to run him out of town. So that is the context that we're studying here. I know we fast forward a little bit, but Jesus left under great hostility from the religious leaders. Okay? And he's in a non-Jewish area. That does It's very important a little bit later on, and I will come back to that point. But he goes there, and he's apparently trying to just minister to the 12 disciples that are with him. As I've talked about in sermons past, Jesus was crowded with such a multitude, they couldn't even stop and eat or even sleep sometimes. And so this is a great opportunity for him to invest in the 12 disciples that he has called to further the ministry after he's gone. But when he goes to Tyre and Sidon, verse 24 says that he would not really have men know that he was there, but he could not be hid. That's a very important point. He goes there, but he's recognized right away. And the reason why I believe he was recognized is because in Mark chapter 3, verse 8, we read when all these people crowded around him from all the area around Galilee, one of those areas was Tyre and Sidon. They had heard about Jesus and the great things he had done, and they went and they, some of them were healed, some of them heard him preach, and apparently some of them recognized him when he came to this town in Phoenicia, or around Tyre and Sidon. And these people certainly recognized him. And I just want to bring a point of application about a woman or a person of remarkable faith. When you are living out your faith in Jesus Christ actively, other people will see Christ in your life. We see that Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon, and He's not really wanting to engage in any kind of public ministry, just private ministry to His disciples. But even when He goes and He goes to this district of Tyre and Sidon, He still cannot be hidden. And let me tell you, when He's really, when He is in your life, and when He is your Savior, and you're living for Him, then people are going to see Jesus in your life. And I encourage you to be a woman or man of remarkable faith. Uh, what made this woman's faith so remarkable? First of all, she had saving faith in Christ. The only way that you're really going to ha- have remarkable faith, that faith that's going to be worthy of notice, it's going to attract your own children or others to Jesus Christ, is you've got to be saved yourself. Okay, You have to have trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior. And I said saving faith. Don't take that the wrong way. When I say saving faith, I don't mean faith that saves you. Because your faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, the Bible says. I think that's a very important point. Jesus saves us, but how do we receive salvation? How do we receive the gift of eternal life? Through, by faith, through Christ. Okay, It's through Christ. We receive it by faith through Christ. And Jesus is the source of our salvation. And so you must have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And you say, Pastor, how do you know this woman was saved? You really can't figure that out from verses 24 through verse 26. Not really. Um, So let's turn to Matthew chapter 15. I didn't read um, this parallel account in its complete, in 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 the full text here. So I want to read just a couple here. Matthew chapter 15 verse 21. 
Uh, this is where it picks up in the Gospel of Matthew, and it kind of gives you a little bit of insight into the faith of this woman. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Okay? Let's just stop there. We see this woman. She is, uh, uh, Mark only gives two appeals that she makes to the Lord Jesus. Matthew actually gives three, and we're reading this first appeal. And we find that when we read Mark and Matthew, that we see that this woman was not a Jew. She was a Phoenician. And I know that means so much to you today. Okay? No, let me give a little bit of explanation of what a Phoenician was. It was a a group of people. They were not Jews. So she grew up without knowing about the one true God. She didn't grow up with a Bible. She didn't grow up with a Scripture. She didn't grow up going to a synagogue learning about the one true God. Okay? So you kind of follow that at least. That she was not a Jew. She also would have worshipped many gods. The Phoenicians worshipped many gods and we read in Mark chapter 7 that she was a Greek. And what that means is not that she was from Greece, as you might conclude, but she was actually Greek in how she lived. That means that she spoke the Greek Koine language. She also was um, Greek in how she lived, or Hellenistic is what a lot of historians say. So she would have adopted the culture and maybe even the religion of the Greeks as well, worshiping the pantheon of the Greek gods as well. And also the Phoenicians were very much like the British Empire in the past. Because they were along the coast, they did a lot of trade. And they were in they did a lot of commerce in shipbuilding. We read about uh, them taking people from that area to Tarshish, where Jonah was wanting to go. If you remember that in the Old Testament. The Phoenicians were active in that kind of trade. And so as they would go around these different aspects of the Mediterranean, they would colonize these areas. They colonized areas of now Spain, of um, Italy, and even of Greece. And so they had these colonies, and even in West Africa, Carthage was a very popular uh, colony that they started there. So they're very much like the British Empire in in years past, where they colonized all these areas, and because of that, they also had trade. So they were well known for their glassware, and blown glass, and glassware that they would make. They They made a lot of money in shipping people to different areas, and also building ships. They made a lot of money in weave, weaving work, okay, whatever you call that. And then they also would engrave precious stones. They were actually involved in building Solomon's temple. Okay, King Hiram, the king of Tyre, he was a Phoenician. He was, he was involved in building Solomon's uh, temple and the stonework and the woodwork there. And because of that, they were very wealthy. That's my point. They were very wealthy people. And this lady was probably did not grow up knowing about the one true God. That's my point in talking about that. She also had probably gone to her false gods to seek help and deliverance for her daughter that was demon-possessed or under the oppression of this devil. And she probably also had went and spent money, like the woman with the issue of blood, and probably spent a lot of money 
trying to get a solution and trying to have deliverance. But she was without hope. But she had heard about Jesus Christ from those people that came in Mark chapter 3, verse 8. Somehow she knew about Jesus, and when she heard that He was in her area, she immediately came to Him, even though He really did not want to do public ministry in this non-Jewish area. And as she comes to Him, according to Matthew chapter 15, she comes to Him and says, Have mercy on me, O Lord and the Son of David. Two titles for the Messiah or the Savior that's promised in the Old Testament. O Lord, that Adonai, that Hebrew word Adonai, that was a, Messi- that was a Messianic title for the Savior. And it's given in Psalm 110 verse 1. I'm not going to read it for you, but it's in Psalm 110 verse 1. And then also, Son of David, where God made a covenant with David that one of his descendants would be the Messiah and would set up a kingdom forever and ever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, the Messiah is called the Son of David. So this woman, whatever faith she had, to whatever extent it was, she believed that Jesus was God's promised Savior in the Old Testament. I really believe that. And because she had hope in Jesus for salvation, she also had hope in Him that He had the power and the ability as the Son of God to deliver her daughter from this devil. Do you see the connection? And let me just challenge you mothers that um, the first step in having remarkable faith and leading your children in faith is to be saved yourself. To trust in Jesus as your personal Savior first. You can't do that apart from Christ. You cannot have the proper influence, the godly influence to lead them to faith in Christ unless you've done that yourself. You can't you have to practice what you preach. Amen. And so you have to be able you have to have done that yourself. Okay, second point is not only to live with a saving faith in Christ, but also live with a stubborn faith in Christ. And I don't mean stubborn as in bad, okay? Like in a negative sense. I mean determined and persistent faith. So you can reword it if you want to. But, you know, I know some mothers that have some stubborn faith. And thank God that they have, you know, been so persistent in serving the Lord, Jesus Christ. And they had, um, in fact, you think about saving faith. I mentioned, I think, last year that people in my family started trusting in Christ and started serving the Lord Jesus Christ after my great-grandmother, Willie Mae Davis, that's a, that's a southern name, yeah, that's my great-grandma, Willie Mae Davis, uh, she accepted Christ as her Savior. And it was not until my great-great-grandfather was almost about to die that he accepted Jesus as his personal Savior. And they weren't Baptists, okay? Um, but they accepted Jesus as their personal Savior, and they had a direct influence in my mother's life my mother didn't grow up going to church her parents were busy working and hardly ever went to church even though uh, my grandpa my papa who's with the lord now he grew up in a house later on in life where his mother was praying for him and he would see her every morning every night praying for each person in her family and eventually My mom accepted Christ. She was active in the Wesleyan church. 
And my dad was out of church and they met each other. And so my dad started going to church. And then my dad was already saved, but he got on fire for God. And then my family started. You know, my, my parents' family started. And we were, and we, they started going to the Baptist church in town, and I was raised uh, in the Baptist church and heard the gospel, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I tell you, God intervened in my family's life, and it was the faith of one woman, saving faith, that influenced all those generations. And He can still do that today. And He can also use a persistent or stubborn faith in Jesus Christ. We see in Mark chapter 7, verse 26, in the last half of this verse, it says, And this woman besought Jesus that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. And that word besought means that, he came, that she came to Jesus in a very dignified and respectful way, but it's written in the original to convey that she asked over and over and over again. And I know we haven't read the entirety of Matthew chapter 15, but we see that when this woman came to Jesus and she asked for help, that Jesus actually didn't respond to her at all. He ignored her request. And then right after that, that the disciples said, Jesus, can we just send this woman away? She's crying after you and following us everywhere in this area. Can we just send her away? And so as, I, as, I, as we study this woman, I want you to get the full picture. This woman comes and she doesn't get an immediate response from Jesus. She doesn't even get encouragement from His own disciples. They think she's annoying and want to send her away. And she went over several hurdles in faith because she went there and she was not going to be denied what was promised in the Scriptures, what she knew to be true about Jesus Christ. And you know what? I really believe that Jesus was testing her faith and she passed with flying colors, with remarkable faith. This woman, she knew her daughter's needs. And we need more mothers like that. That are involved and engaged in the, in the lives of their daughters and their children. And they know what the spiritual needs of their children are. This woman knew that her daughter was controlled by a devil. Not that she was insane. Not that she needed psycho, psychological help. But she knew that her daughter was controlled by a devil. She was engaged on a spiritual level with her daughter. And she knew where to get the answer and the victory. Jesus Christ. And she came to Christ and she sought help from Him. And she wasn't going to quit on her daughter. She wasn't going to give up. And she was going to continue to come before the Lord and ask for help and for Him to intervene in his daughter's life, her daughter's life. I am so thankful that my mom didn't give up on me. When I was 16 years old, I was not living for God. Yes, I made a profession of faith when I was six, but I really didn't understand what salvation was. My faith was still in my works, very obviously. And I was still living to fulfill my own flesh. I was still living as an unbeliever. And my parents were very concerned about me my mom in particular, and she prayed for me, and she was persistent, and she even financed me to go on a mission team to be just close to some Christian teenagers and close to the Gospel. And I'm so thankful for my mom and her persistence. I'm glad she didn't give up on me as a teenager that was rebelling against her. 
uh, that was trying to sneak off and uh, undermine her authority, but I was, but she was persistent in pursuing me and encouraging me to have faith in Christ as my Savior. And it was on that mission trip that I finally read a gospel track and it finally clicked that I didn't have to work my way to salvation, which I always thought. I thought I had to believe Jesus existed, then I had to earn my way to salvation. And it was that and that trip that I read the truth from God's Word. No one showed me. It wasn't the Sunday school teacher because I gave him the stiff arm. It was a gospel track. It was the Word of God and God Himself working in my heart. But the first step was taken because of the persistence of my mother. And I want to encourage you mothers and you fathers not to give up on your kids. If they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, continue to pray for them. Continue to pray that their heart will be soft and that they will respond to Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a child that's not living for God, but they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Don't give up on them. This woman didn't. And she went to Christ and she begged and persistently pleaded that He would intervene. And we see that He does. He does. God's going to use your perseverance in prayer and your perseverance in faith to influence your child and others for Christ. And you will have remarkable faith. Live with a saving faith in Christ. Live with a stubborn faith in Christ. And live with a satisfied faith in Christ. We read in verse 27, But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. The children here are referring, Jesus is referring to the lost sheep of Israel. We know this from Matthew chapter 15, and it also the fact that she's a non-Jew and how he is focused on ministry to the Jews in the past. Uh, so several reasons why we believe that. I want to remind you that Jesus is in a non-Jewish Gentile territory. Um, he just left Galilee under because of religious hostility. And then he's in this area. He doesn't want to do really any public ministry because he doesn't. He hasn't abandoned ministry to the Jews. So when this woman comes and she's asking for him to do a miracle, he wants to be very clear about what his mission is. That he has not abandoned those Jews even though he's in a Gentile country and even though they really are rejecting him. He still has not, he has not abandoned them. And he is going to go back to Galilee. He's even going to go to Judea, eventually Jerusalem, and be crucified on the cross. And so he makes this statement in verse 27 that let or allow the children first to be filled for it is meet to take the children's for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. He says this because he wants to be very clear that he hasn't abandoned ministry to the Jews. And he wants the disciples to understand that, and he also wants this woman to understand this. Now, the word dogs was a very slang, slur term that the, that the Jews would use for non-Jews or Gentiles. And they would use this term to describe them as dogs because there were dogs in those ancient times that would run around the cities without owners. They were scavengers. They were fierce. They probably carried disease. They would eat garbage. 
And the Jews really likened the non-Jews to that. They don't, they don't belong to our God. They are evil. They're impure. They don't belong. They're not the chosen people. And it was a very arrogant slur word for them to use. Jesus actually doesn't use that word here. Uh, even though the King James translates it dogs, he actually, it's a very softened form of that. And it means actually little dogs, puppies, doggies. Okay, is how you would translate that. And that term was used not for the scavenging, unclean, dirty ones, dirty dogs that would eat the refuge, but actually for household dogs that would sleep on their master's lap at night and they would eat the crumbs from the children's table, from the children's plate. And so he's not really denigrating this woman. It's actually saying, it's, you know, if I said, you know, to my child, Oh, you're my little puppy or something. It's kind of like a term of endearment. Okay? So he's not being hateful here, but he is giving he is making a distinction between the Jews and the non Jews. Because there was a distinction. Not that God loved the Jews more than the non Jews, but they did have a different position and privilege and plan in God's overall plan. You think about it, Israel had a special position and had special privileges. God said in the Old Testament that He made this nation and He chose this nation to glorify Him. He didn't choose any other nation to do that. So they did have a special position, and that is clear okay, in the Old Testament. And they did have a special uh, privilege. Even Romans chapter 3 mentions that uh, even though God gave the Scriptures to the Jews and they didn't believe it themselves, doesn't mean that the Scriptures are not true. See, the people of Israel received the Scriptures, the written Word of God. The other nations of the world did not. That was a privilege. The fact that uh, God called Abraham and made a covenant and said, through your descendant, all nations shall be blessed. In the book of Genesis, He said, there is a special privilege. The Messiah, the Savior, is going to come through Israel. So there are some privileges uh, that Israel as a nation, as a people... That God has given them, okay? But it doesn't mean that God loves them more than us. Because we know from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Okay? And Jesus came to His own and His own received Him not. So we know that God still loves us, but it doesn't mean that He always treats us the same. And see, our world really gets that so messed up. <laughs> okay? They say, we all got to be the same. We all got to make the same income level. We got to have the, all the same privileges. Or you're not loving one and the other, okay? That's not how God works. And that's not how life works, really, either. Okay? Um, but here, we see that the non-Jew is different from the Jew. And Jesus makes that distinction. But what I want to bring your attention to is that this woman has remarkable faith because she submits to the will of God and she is satisfied with her place and the privileges that God gives her. And that makes a great impression on her daughter, I believe, later on. This mother is satisfied with her position in life as a non-Jew. She's not arguing that. Did you read what she, remember what she said here? She answered on him, she said, Yes, Lord. That is, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yet, the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. See, she was satisfied with being a non-Jew. She understood she didn't have a godly heritage. You know, and not all of us have a godly heritage. 
Does that mean that God didn't love us? No. God still loves you. Okay? We don't all have the same privileges in life. Maybe you didn't have a saved parent. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you didn't grow up rich. Maybe you didn't grow up, you know, well to do or with, you know, really nice clothes on your back. God still loves you. Okay? And see, this woman, she realized her place and she submitted to where God wanted her to be, who she wanted her, who he wanted her to be. She was satisfied not only with her position, but also with the provisions God had given her. And she was just satisfied with one miracle from Christ. If you could just heal my daughter, I will be so satisfied with that. I will just take the crumbs from your table. I am not going to take you from your ministry to the Jews. You don't have to start a public ministry here in the district of Tyre and Sidon. I'm satisfied if you just heal my daughter and deliver her from this devil. And she exercises great faith in His generous grace. And Jesus responds to that. And we'll read about that in just a little bit. But mother, father, all of us, think about your life. You know, we can live and we can be, discon- we can be unsatisfied with our position in life. And we can bellyache about it. We can be discontent with uh, God's provisions that He's given us. And what does that say about your faith and my faith when we do that? What do our children see? What do others see? They see a faith that is unsatisfied with Christ. And this woman was satisfied with just the crumbs that Jesus would give her. She was satisfied with whatever He would do to help her daughter. Are you satisfied with Christ? Are you a woman or a man with remarkable faith? And then in verses 29-30, through 30, live with a sure faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 29, I've got to keep my promise to my dear wife. Okay, and he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. See, Jesus rewards her faith in his grace. And this little girl, he says, is delivered from this devil. He casts this devil from her from a distance. And this is the only time that Jesus really does this in the Gospel of Mark. He will never heal from a distance uh, or cast out a demon from a distance in the Gospel of Mark. This is the only time that it happens. Jesus gives her assurance in verse 29 that her daughter is free from this devil and the mother, a woman of faith, she departs. Even though she hasn't seen that her daughter has been healed, she leaves and she believes Jesus' word. And she lives and she departs from Him, believing what Jesus has said. And when she comes home, she sees that her daughter is laying down in peace. And as we covered in chapter 5, the the demoniac of Gadara, and how he was running around naked and he was cutting himself and he was screeching and shrieking and running amok and terrifying people. This woman came home and we don't know exactly how her daughter lived under the control of this devil, but she could tell a difference right away. That this devil was gone and that Jesus had intervened and helped her. Can you imagine the conversation she had when she came home and opened the door? And she sees her daughter and sees that something is different. And her daughter's like, I'm just laying around here. What, what happened? I mean, I wonder if she even knew what happened to her. Or maybe she did know it and she said, what happened? That devil left me. I can, I can, I can live of my own free will. 
I'm not cutting myself anymore. I'm not hurting myself anymore. I'm not screeching and screaming and terrifying people anymore. What happened? And the mother says, well, I went to a man named Jesus. And I came to Him just trusting that He would help us. Because I really believe that He is the Son of God and that He can help. And He helped you. He's the one who delivered you. And I can only imagine that daughter saying, who is this Jesus? Tell me more about Him. And you know, a mother can have a profound impact on the influence on, on a child's life. I heard, I, I heard a preacher talking. He has an inner city ministry and he goes into an inner city and busts kids into church. And these kids, they grow up without fathers, poverty, gangs, all that kind of stuff. And he says that when he talks to these kids on the bus, he says, does your mom love you? And the kids say, yes, my mom loves you. How do you know? Because mamas love you. Because mamas love their kids. And you can't. And he commented, he says, you can't say that about the fathers because the fathers aren't part of their life many a time. But he said, those kids know that their mothers love them because their mothers are engaged in their life and they've shown love to them. And it just proves the point that a mother has great influence on the life of a little child. And also in the life of other people around them. And I encourage the mothers, but all of us. This message is not just for mothers today. It's for all of us. To not take for granted your walk of faith. Others notice how you live out your faith in Christ. And let's follow Christ with a remarkable faith. Men... Children, let's appreciate our mothers today and their faith in Christ. Let's honor these mothers of remarkable faith. I'm so glad for the mothers and the women in First Baptist Church and how you live a consistent Christian life. And I just encourage you to keep plugging away. I know it's hard to raise children. I know it's hard to live the Christian life. But by God's grace, you will. Because you have saving faith, Lord willing. And I encourage you to have a stubborn faith, a sure faith, and I encourage you to follow the Lord. What a mother. What remarkable faith in Christ. Let's honor these mothers of faith and let's live and follow Christ ourselves with a remarkable faith. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this time that we could uh, study the life of this mother. We thank you for this example and how she looked to you for help when she was going through a hard time raising her daughter. And I pray, Lord, for the parents in this room. I know that our kids are not perfect and we struggle in raising them for you. And I just pray that you would help us to come to you by faith, seeking your help. Pray, Lord, that uh, if there's a mom or a dad or maybe even a child that needs to come to you and they need to confess a sin to you and say, Lord, I've not been living the way you want me to live. I haven't been trusting you this last week or maybe they haven't even accepted you as their personal Savior. I pray that they would respond to your Holy Spirit as you've worked in their hearts today. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray you'll work in our time of response. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.